Hello, I'm Holly Baker. I'm the podcast producer in the public history program at the University of Central Florida, and I will be your host for this podcast series on the Florida Constitutions. In 2018, we celebrated the 50th anniversary of the current Florida Constitution. This podcast series will look back at all the constitutions in Florida, starting with the first Florida Constitution, drafted in 1838. These interviews were recorded at the 2018 annual meeting of the Florida Conference of Historians. The day-long sessions examined each of the Florida Constitutions and discussed how they addressed the concerns of their time. The sessions took place at the Old Senate Chamber and the Florida Historic Capitol Museum in Tallahassee. Robert Casanello, an associate professor of history at the University of Central Florida, and Julian Chambliss, a professor of English at Michigan State University, moderated the discussion. During the conference, Robert Casanello spoke with Chris Day from the McClay School in Tallahassee, Florida. Professor Day completed his Ph.D. at Florida State University, where he researched the constitutional and legal history of Florida in the 19th century. Let's listen. Chris, thank you for joining us here today. If you, if you could, I'd like to ask you to introduce yourself to our audience. My name's Chris Day. Uh, I earned my PhD from FSU. Uh, my background uh, is African-American history, predominantly uh, long civil rights movement in Florida, at least that's how I sort of coined it. Uh, my research has dealt with um, Florida State Supreme Court cases uh, that I sort of determined to have civil rights implications. Uh, and I went from statehood to about 1896. Uh, to be bluntly honest, I picked Supreme Court cases because there were fewer of them, uh, and the sample sets uh, are much easier to sort of digest. So, um, you know, for effective time management, I believe that was the best way to go. Um, so I think uh, the, the court cases uh, bring a very interesting insight into a lot of what was going on in Florida. Uh, well, for my range from statehood through uh, 96. Uh, and even if you went beyond that, any of you have ever looked at it, probably have seen that as well. Okay, let's, let's start at the beginning here. And can you give us a sense of what birth this Constitution? Uh, simply uh, stated, I believe the birth of the Constitution was Reconstruction, uh, the sort of the reaction to it. Uh, it seems that conservative Democrats, um, the Bourbon Democrats, uh, believe that everything uh, that was associated with Reconstruction, whether it was good or bad, uh, tended to sort of fall under the realm of uh, tyrannical federal uh, oversight. Uh, they associated that with uh, the Republican Party um, and any you know advancements in civil rights, uh, in education, and anything of that nature, uh, and particularly how the government was organized. They believed that. Uh, it had eroded uh, local autonomy, uh, particularly at the county level, with the uh, appointment of many county officials uh, by the governor, um, who you know, uh, you know, they thought had you know too much power under the '68 Constitution. Uh, they had uh, a lot of Bourbon Democrats were also upset with uh, the appointment of Supreme Court justices uh, through the governor's office. Uh, they wanted that particular position to be electable. Uh, they also had um, blamed Republican uh, Party administration for um, state debt, uh, the Panic of 1873 and its impacts on Florida overall, uh, and uh, they, you know, also believed that uh, they had to kind of return things to a much more 
limited government, uh, more sort of fiscal conservatism um, that they wish to have. And, you know, for me, I think uh, one of the big things is that, you know, Bourbon Democrats, when they're looking at the 18, you know, going into the con convention in 85, uh, it really was an opportunity to return Florida to conservative rule uh, and racial hegemony. Um, and we're going to see this through a number of different uh, avenues, as I mentioned before, uh, fiscal austerity, uh, this sort of call for localism, which we will see it in with you know, limited government sort of being a facet, as well as uh, you know, African-American disfranchisement is going to be a major component of that as well. So would you say this constitution reflects um, the ideas of its time? I believe so, um, quite a bit of it. And actually, you know, it's kind of interesting when you look at this. Uh, you know, some historians had mentioned that uh, it seemed like the Constitutional Convention came out of political struggle between independent uh, sort of fusion tickets. Those are your dissatisfied anti-Bourbon Democrats as well as uh, the remnants of African-American Republicans kind of coming together uh, on common ground dealing with things such as um, you know, land speculation, railroad regulation, things of that nature. Um, but it, it's a bit of a misnomer. Uh, it's, you know, we see after redemption, when, you know, after Drew becomes governor in 76, that um, there were calls for a constitution. Drew himself immediately says that we need to look at the voter rolls and decide what to do with those. Uh, we'll also see in 1880, they actually tried to call uh, a convention and it never came to fruition. It failed on the ballot. Um, and so uh, we're going to see that um, as the South, uh, really Florida is not you know, uh, unique in this, as the South really tries to turn away from Reconstruction, we see that um, these new constitutions that sort of focus on that, regardless of what it was, um, seem to be coming up. Um, and I'd also argue going a bit further and sometimes we don't see this in the literature as often as I, as I would like personally, is that um, when we see the rolling back of federal oversight, particularly dealing with the protection of civil rights, um, we do see that more and more states are going to start passing legislation uh, that infringe upon those rights, particularly when you deal with suffrage. Uh, while I do not feel that um, Florida, as well as any other southern states, were automatically jumping on board you know, waiting for the Supreme Court to roll those things back, it does seem interesting that by, uh, you know, 1883, with the last major one before Plessy, uh, with the civil rights cases, uh, once the U.S. Supreme Court had clearly stated that there was a difference between state and uh, national citizenship, uh, and that 14th and 15th Amendment um, weren't necessarily directly applicable to the people, but to the laws passed by the legislature, changes the dynamic of how uh, the states can function and enact laws. Uh, no longer are they worried as much uh, about uh, federal intervention, which was an issue in Florida. Uh, we've seen this um, with contested uh, elections in the 1870s. They were very clear that you know we have to make sure to do this so that they don't come in and you know uh, try to. Uh, make changes through the Enforcement Acts, which by 18, the 1880s have pretty much been deemed um, not completely unconstitutional, pretty much. Oh, thank you. So constitutions seem to come about and, and introduce new political ideas and philosophies. What did the 1885 Constitution introduce to um, Florida voters? 
As far as something new, uh, it probably will be sort of the decentralization of state government, uh, particularly with the reduction of power uh, at the executive level. Uh, the governor no longer is going to appoint as many county officials and even the cabinet uh, has, that had been done in the past. Uh, one uh, historian had mentioned that this was a very puzzling thing to, to, to political scientists, although I wasn't able to sort of figure out exactly why that was puzzling. But this feature of you know uh, a decentralized executive and of course um, you know the, the power of legislature uh, increasing seems to be sort of a thing that kind of comes out of this, which was uh, kind of interesting um, coming out of the '85 Constitution. It seems to be the one that persists uh, to this day. See uh, the governor not necessarily having as much impact, and that's a, a direct correlation to '68, where the executive had a lot more power in his ability to appoint uh, county officials and the like. Okay, great. Uh, and finally, last question: um, What are the um, the debates and the struggles that come out of the 1885 Constitution? One of the uh, major ones, which I think is going to be brought up. Uh, you know, later uh, in 1968 is going to be dealing with apportionment. Uh, and, you know, Florida in the latter half of the 19th century is changing dramatically. Uh, we have a, you know, a lot of um, people moving into the state, uh, which, you know, ironically was the result of Reconstruction. Uh, because of the Immigration and Lands Office, we do see an influx of people coming into the South, um, uh, into South Florida, into the peninsula. Uh, railroads are playing a role in this. HB uh, Plant, Henry Flagler, as they start to extend, uh, that also had created issues. But uh, we'll see that um, it's going to be harder and harder for North Florida counties, uh, the Panhandle, to maintain its control, its grip uh, on the legislature through apportionment. Uh, I think that's going to be a major one. But uh, beyond just strictly you know, nuts and bolts of politics, I, I would argue the biggest thing that comes out of it is segregation. Uh, more than anything else. Segregation is, you know, it's one of the things I try to convey to my students. We sort of, when we read about it, it seems like it kind of comes out of nowhere, when the reality is, is it takes a tremendous amount of work just to get that to function. Um, how to organize uh, that law, how to make sure that you're not violating um, parts of the Constitution that are clearly designed to make sure that doesn't occur. Uh, and Florida does uh, its homework um, and does prepare uh, considerably. Uh, we see that that starts off with um, the reduction in suffrage rights. Uh, this was not new with the poll tax coming out of 1885. Uh, we had seen a reduction, as I mentioned earlier, as, you know, from you know, George Drew. Uh, the governor had said that we must look at the voter rolls and determine if everybody is a qualified elector. Um, and this is going to cause problems on the county level. For example, in Jefferson County, there were a number uh, of people who were getting purged, predominantly African Americans, who were being purged from the voter rolls, and they weren't finding out until they go vote, but the law had stated that they were um, supposed to notify uh, the county of its mistake three days before um, the vote, and they were supposed to hold public hearings to let everybody know, but those weren't always done uh, as commonly as they should. Um, and one of the things that kind of strikes me, and this is another case that comes out of Duval County, is Horatio Bisbee, who, of course, was uh, a major player in Reconstruction. Um, he actually defends uh, a man by the name of Richard Jordan in Duval County who had been removed uh, from the voter rolls for petty larceny. Uh, 
essentially a theft over $20, uh, which, I mean, even by that time, is not very high. Uh, and uh, he notes in there that uh, by removing people or taking away their civil rights because of petty larceny was, a, of course, he's a lawyer, so Latin terms abound. Uh, he referred to it as a civiliter mortuis, uh, the death of the civilian, the removal of their rights. Uh, and he had equated that as something worse than death. Um, and so Florida will, um, you know, after, of course, with, let's be clear, on 85, they don't actually put a poll tax in there, although there is mention of it. They call it a capitulation tax, uh, which was supposed to go to schools, ironically enough. Um, that they had given the legislature the power to do so, which they used in 1889. Uh, and from there, we'll see the passage of more and more segregationist Jim Crow laws. And of course, as we know, Plessy uh, opens, you know, the Plessy decision in 96 opens up the door uh, to where, you know, most of these laws are not going to violate the 14th Amendment and its Equal Protection Clause. Uh, but I'd argue that the civil rights cases of 1883 probably were uh, a bigger impetus to, to this than anything else. Um, and so having to deal with Jim Crow and the civil rights activism to follow uh, it's probably one of the biggest legacies that come out of it. Uh, maybe giving the 85 uh, Constitution too much credence here, but when they clearly state in the Constitution something that, although Florida is, if you look at it, it's kind of interesting. Florida, you know, between uh, St. Joe and this one is averaging a new Constitution about every eight and a half years. We seem to like to do this, but uh, we have to kind of recognize that this is a tremendous endeavor. Uh, it's 45 days to get the 85 Constitution through. Um, it cost a, you know, a lot of money. Uh, it actually, Governor Perry got mad at them because he thought they were charging way too much. Uh, and it's kind of interesting because bourbons and their whole idea of fiscal uh, conservatism, uh, it's kind of interesting that they went over budget, uh, but I digress. Um, they are putting in uh, two that jump out of me. One, they clearly segregate education institutions. Gone. Um, and that's something that's put in there, and it takes a lot to overturn that, uh, unlike, say, you know, regular legislation. But the other one that doesn't get talked about as, as much is, is um, the, they put in the Constitution, of course it's been an issue in Florida for a while, uh, the prohibition of interracial marriages. And they had gone and, and stated that um, there couldn't be a relationship to somebody who had uh, ancestry back four generations, so you're talking of almost a hundred years that they're going back. And that's gonna cause uh, tremendous problems with the transfer of property you know, one example that I had come across uh, was dealing with uh, Zephyrai Kingsley, who had left Florida 30, 40, 50 years earlier. Um, his um, children had challenged a sale of land. And, you know, if you don't know about Kingsley, he's a really interesting character because um, he had three, um, you can't call them marriages legally because it wasn't allowed, uh, but he had three open relationships with African-American women. Um, had children with them and lived with them as if they were um, his wife and he had um, accepted his children openly. It wasn't anything that he did. He actually had bequeathed land to them, approximately 300 acres in Duval County that they were able to use. And, you know, in the 1880s, um, when the mother of some of the children had decided to sell it, they challenged it. Um, and the reason I bring this up is not because of the sale, but within the context of the case. Uh, the question of their legitimacy uh, had come up 
Uh, even though the court ultimately had said it doesn't matter, we're not really looking at that, it was interesting that that would have been brought up, uh, that they shouldn't even be here to begin with because of this. And, you know, part of the ability to get married, one of the rights is the ability to transfer property. Um, and so uh, this makes it even more difficult moving forward, I think. So I think that's going to be a major component. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. That was Chris Day from the McClay School in Tallahassee, Florida, discussing the 1885 Constitution. Thanks for listening. In the next episode of this podcast series on Florida Constitutions, Andrew Frank from Florida State University contemplates how the Seminole and Miccosukee Constitutions could be understood as Florida Constitutions. Please join us for that episode. We hope you have enjoyed this conversation, and if you did enjoy it, please recommend it to others. Post it on your Facebook or Twitter page for others to find. This series was produced by Robert Casanello and Julian Chambliss. We'd like to thank David Proctor and Jesse Hinkson with the Florida Conference of Historians for assisting in the recording of this series. You can find out more about the Florida Conference of Historians at www.floridaconferenceofhistorians.org.